Wait, 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 wait. There we go. And welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal here to suck just a little bit less every day from the brink of sanity. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And recording from the basement of the Ivory Tower, my name is Frank Cole. And this is episode number 111, recorded August 11th, 2023. So there's something that we haven't talked about. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. 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 I'm shocked. Shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. Shocked that we haven't talked about this before uh, on the show. And that is, I have had a recent opportunity to revisit the GitLab handbook. Have you seen, oh, have you seen oh, this thing? Have you seen, have you seen, have this? You seen this? Have you seen this? Yes. Yes. I so have been GitLab staring handbook. at it idly for the last decade. Yes. yes. It has been around hmm. for, for quite a while. And I, I'm just aghast and disappointed in us for having not brought this to the table sooner as an example of doing things well, doing lots, actually multi, a multitude of things very, very well. And so if there are people in the audience who have never heard of this thing, GitLab, I think that name should be self-explanatory, but essentially a competitor to GitHub if you've never uh, heard of them. And they have effectively an open source version of GitHub. And then there is an, uh, an enterprise and a hosted version on top of that. That's how they make money. They're a super big company, super successful. Uh, they IPO'd last year, the year before. A year or two ago. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty recently. Um, so doing very well. Uh, you and I were both very early adopters. I, I moved from mm -hmm. self-hosting my own raw Git daemons on a on a web server to GitLab the instant that I discovered it. And um, so it's, it's a great product. It's really, really good. And on their website, they have, the, they have a handbook. And just like every company has a handbook. Unlike every company, their entire handbook is a version controlled markdown document collection that is published uh, automatically with updates. You know, so you do a git push, git merge, and it, it just pops up there. Everybody in the company can contribute. And the entire thing is one, well, I don't want to say, I'll say 99% of it is out in the open. They do have, so they have a private, they apparently have a private handbook that they actually talk about, but anything that they can make public. The one they, that actually matters. Yeah. <laughs> anything that can be public, they have made public with this thing. And it is a treasure trove it's it is a delight just going anywhere in this thing is just awesome and you want to talk you know I'm, I'm big on sunshine being the best disinfectant this is like the best example of that ever because this whole thing sits out there in the open and they just talk about what they do and how they do it and what works and what doesn't and it's all it's very concrete it's very down to earth um the the policies are all very rational. It's it's really cool. It has gotten to the point now where, for certain, uh, if the if the work that they're doing, um, like a, a new project or new, uh, a new pitch or something comes up, and there's content to be made inside the handbook, there's an expectation that the presentation that they give doesn't include slides. You're just screen sharing the handbook. 
Right. And you're just you're, okay. you're actually just walking through the content that you have already written up. And so you better have written it up and it be inside the handbook. Very, very cool. Um, and it just does a great job of describing who they are as a company. But more importantly, it, it I think because of the the broad universal nature of it, the policies themselves that they come up with tend to be pretty good. They're they're very the, 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 um, generally things make a lot of sense. They're down to earth and, and it's, it's, it's reasonable. It's well-reasoned, well thought out. And if anyone has a problem with any policy at any point, they can go ahead and make a merge request and submit a change. Here's, here's what I want to change. Here's why. Yes. Not non-infringing merge request. You can't call it a pull request. <laughs> can't recall it a pull. Yeah. PR is GitHub. Merge request is GitLab. I don't, I don't, I don't know if, the, is that actually, uh, I gotta look, is that actually like a trademark term I, or they just wanted to differentiate for no reason? I, I'll be honest. I always found, per, um, oh, well, you know what? I always found the term purge, uh, pull request a little, it makes sense, but I always, it works backwards in my head. Maybe it's because I'm dyslexic. It's like, but, but I'm, but I'm not, but I'm not pulling code. I, I'm making, I'm, I want to push my code to you. To you. you yeah. Know? So, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a, but it's a request to pull. It's a request which, which I think in that, to pull. It's the, it's the, in that sense, the if you think of, about, <laughs> right, right. It's, 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 oh my God, there's a great scene in the office where they go through like, oh no, it's it's not who, it's whom. And, uh, you know, and they go through this whole thing. No, it's whom when it's the subject and it was object and Ryan used me as an object. It's this whole, uh, maybe I can find a clip in the show notes. Um, but no, I think uh, technically, I think merge request is more accurate because right? I can pull code from anywhere. It doesn't mean I have to merge it you into my base. You don't have to, right? right? You're actually making a request um, to merge this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't- I want, I think they did it just to be different. I'm not sure if pull request is so. actually is actually copyrighted. Yeah. That that seems it seems like a pretty generic term. But um, but anyway, the the handbook is all it's all markdown documents, which is very easy to do. Uh, literally anyone can learn how to do it, um, and the entire process is handled in a Git repository in GitLab. Uh, you know, so they're mm -hmm. they're dog fooding themselves. Uh, actually, at this point, I know that GitLab is actually developed inside GitLab. So GitLab builds GitLab and it just bro, yeah. turtles all the yo way dog. down. Bro, yo dog. And yo dog. That's an interesting, though, like the, that that moment of bootstrapping is really kind of a cool thing to think about. Yeah, it is. Right. Like when you when you start to use the product, like GCC did this about four and a half thousand years ago. Uh, like when, <laughs> Give or take. Like when, when the compiler got complex enough and stable enough to generate the next version of the compiler like you see this in a couple of different areas of comp sites i think it's i just think it's fun mm -hmm. yeah i totally uh totally agree and and i bet that was quite the cool day that it that they started actually building their code inside of their code that's that's pretty cool um but the handbook has taken on a life of its own inside of the broader ecosystem of the company and it just has I mean, really, it has anything that you can think of. They have, uh, there's a, they've actually been migrating it. And this is the reason I, I stepped into it. They, it used to be at about.gitlab.com and they're now migrating mm -hmm. the whole thing to uh, handbook.gitlab.com, which I mean, mm. makes way more sense. Let's, let's be honest. That's, I don't know why it wasn't that to begin with. Um, and it has, I, I, I mean, 
literally anything. Um, things that you would not expect to find in a handbook uh, public. There's a whole finance section. Here are the headings in the mm -hmm. finance section. Accounts payable, accounts receivable, uh, business technology, enterprise risk management, expenses, financial planning and analysis, payroll, procurement, tax, board meetings, internal audit, and stock options. Like, name a that's company it. that's got one of those things listed publicly. <laughs> There's Nobody a there's this. a page there's a page just on the CEO where he <laughs> yes. lists like he literally talks about his flaws and strengths and weaknesses and uh, communication page. style like all of this kind of, I mean it's and I think I think most like most people are at least familiar with the GitLab handbook like if you if or or like if you've not heard of GitLab before what I want you to do is just put down well don't put down this I finished listening to the episode and then do <laughs> some sort of like some sort of Christian Bale, Sylvester Stallone, like training montage sequence within your own life, right? Get swole and then lift that rock that you've been living under off of yourself and go read a book, like go learn something. Because <laughs> I don't really think, I, I, I will say that it's, it's, I don't know that, in terms of being like a household name, I think it was still relatively little known before Microsoft acquired GitHub. Uh, GitLab, because you mean? then there was this, yeah. Because then uh, there was I mean, this maybe. like huge. They had like they struggled to keep up with the with the traffic. People were like abandoning GitHub at a rapid pace, um, and that was and jumping to GitLab. Like, yep, mm -hmm. twenty eighteen or nineteen, I think, uh, when that happened. Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody. I I feel like. GitLab is like a known quantity though. At this point, I, I mean, in um, our for, for our audience, I would expect it to be pretty well known at this point. What I find back to your back to your point, what I find most fascinating about their handbook is that they do have like finance and marketing and operations, like like the engineering stuff. Okay, everybody gets that. Um, but I don't know having having the entire organization using Markdown and Git. For their own, because that's like I. Hey, uh, hi. My name is Chris, uh, and I have struggled with adoption of a similar workflow. So, like where I work, for the longest time, we have had an internal static site that's generated based on Markdown stored in Git. And you you issue a pull request. There's a couple of us who are authorized to accept. As soon as we accept, CI pipeline kicks off and pushes the new version. Right. That's how we've been doing things for literal years now. Um, we are thinking about moving into like a away from that and into like a documentation system um, simply because that puts up barriers for the non-engineering people to collaborate on the documentation. Um, and the rep while, the, you know, and then you have this bifurcation, right? Well, the rest of the company is in, let's say, a confluence. Right, the engineering team can be inside of of Git and static pages, which is fine. Uh, but then, w what's the boundary between those? Like, where do you, you know what I mean? Because there's stuff that you want to. Yeah, it gets it gets hairy. Um, and so then, when you're not the CEO and you cannot issue a top down edict, then you wind up losing. And at some point, it's like, all right, well, put it over there. This was nice, but you know. Uh, There's think, a network effect to the documentation, in other words, is what I, I'm saying. I think, well, I, I, I mean, this is just another way that I think Git, GitLab did it right. So there, I have an article, we'll link it in the show notes. It's written by somebody who worked, works, what, what, when was this written? This was written in 2019, so maybe still works there. Mm -hmm. 
it was a non-technical person. I think, I think she was in sales um, and actually gives it's GitLab 101, a primer for the non-technical. And it's a, it's an okay. article on uh, GitLab's own blog. And it actually talks about this it, uh, in a sense. It talks about how I'm a non-technical person. And, and one of the first thing, apparently one of the first things you do on when you join GitLab, you get a big onboarding issue in GitLab, like a GitLab mm-hmm. issue task that you have yep. to complete. And it's got, I mean, it's doing technical things and everyone gets one technical or otherwise. And um, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, for a company like GitLab, I mean, yes, of course, you're going to have everyone is going to have some must have some baseline of it. And and that makes that makes all the sense in the world. But then you raise the question of, oh, OK, well, yeah, sure. It works for GitLab. But what about my company? And, you know, all our people that are technical. I think I ran into this problem when I tried to do a very similar handbook exercise with a company, with an employer. And we had the same conversations and it's it's really a level of commitment because yeah i mean what what actually separates here's the thing what actually separates technical people from non-technical people it's just uh, intelligence grace looks sense of humor capability just pure goodness i you know i'm not sure I'm, i i want to like hold I mean, it it's a like list. let you keep going yeah okay <laughs> aside from all of those things it's just a knowledge gap. And, and, you know, there's knowledge gaps in everything. And I, I speak for myself, but I, I think that a lot of people fit the same bill. Engineers and developers and, and IT sysadmins, we got where we were not because of special training or because we went to a special school or the diploma or anything like that. It's really more, hmm, how does that work? Let me go figure that out. Let me try to learn how to do this. Let me break this. Let me see if I can fix this. It's, it's curiosity just, over time. It's just, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Curiosity over time. That is a, and to me that is, I mean, maybe engineers have more of that, but that's more of the human condition than anything else. I, I, I do not, my point is I do not buy into this notion that, well, this technical stuff is just so obtuse and impenetrable to non-technical people. The notion of markdown is uh, is by by design, but stupid and simple, and and actually designed to be used by anybody. And then Git repositories and commits and things like that. Yeah, there's a there's a curve there, hundred percent. But if you start with the baseline of I make a change and that change gets saved, and that and it, and it gets saved in a way that it is aware of other people's changes at the same time. Like these are not hard concepts at a, at a 30,000 foot level. And so if you're, you know, to do something, I say all that to say to do something like a handbook in this fashion, because I, I, I do not see a better way to do this. This to me is the way to build a handbook. It, that, that's a small order. I don't see that as an insurmountable hurdle, but I absolutely hear that from, from the business side. Oh, I don't know how to do this. Well, then you freaking learn, you know, that's the. That's just how you do it. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, in a lot of organizations, you're going to need a top-down uh, impetus, you know, the CEO yeah. saying, nope, you're going to learn how to do this. I mean, that's that's the way of things. But I think there's a case to be made there to try and convince the CEO to get on board that, I mean, this is a universal good. And, you know, the hurdle here is not, it's not that big. Like, it's, it's really not that big. You can figure this out and you've got technical people on board. They can 
handhold the non-technical folks through it. And, it, you know, if you get in trouble, you ask questions. So I two, think two factors in that. First of all, to double down, uh, GitLab makes this even and now GitHub, I think, too, make this even easier by having an online editor. So yes. it's not even necessary to have the requisite software on your local machine to do the Git things because you can just open the markdown on the web, edit it, save it, and then mm -hmm. do things with it. So kind of circumvents a lot of like any 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 part of the IT discussion there, right? Yeah. Um and it's just super easy and it's super obvious. And I like I'm not disagreeing with anything you say. I think there is a difference where I would I would put a difference though between um kind of a, a tech company versus not. There I think you're going to see a bifurcation in both feasibility and efficacy of the policy, right? So if you take, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying as a, as a value judgment, what you're saying is wrong. Cause I think all companies can benefit from that. I think the, the principle, the underlying idea, the concept of what is happening here is fundamentally the right way to go about this exercise. Um, if I could unlock, you know, in, in my organization, if I could unlock the hive mind to keep our handbook up to date, then it wouldn't have to be a huge exercise for one part of the organization to go through on an annual basis to make all these major modifications. Small errors and changes could be made over time by the folks that find them. I mean, it's 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 a way. I mean, it's it's a way to empower the team. It's a way to get buy-in. You give people a sense of agency and and like they're making it. I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of reasons why you want to do this. Why it's the right thing to do, no matter what kind of organization you are and i think if you're a google versus a johnson and johnson there's a difference in attitude and expectation because most of the companies that are not tech companies right tech is a as a service role you serve the business there's there is other business and so um in a tech company like a gitlab or a, a, a face bag or something like this like Everybody who's non-technical knows you work for a technical place. It's just a different, I think there's a mindset in the broader workforce um, that, again, it's just a matter of top-down support. It's just a matter of the leadership team sitting down and saying, this is what we are going to do, and this is why we're going to do it. I think it makes a lot more sense. It's the, 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 the tangible benefit is much more obvious. I'll say not that there's a difference, but the benefits are more obvious. The transition is easier to imagine for a leadership team of a tech company versus a company where tech is like a supporting role rather than the business. Does that make sense? It does. I'm going to do something we haven't done in a little bit here. I don't think I agree on this at all. Now, on the one hand, yeah, technical versus non-technical company, sure. Uh, I mean, medical versus non-medical. To me, this, is, this approach, GitLab's approach, is the way you solve the handbook problem. Yeah. Full stop. This is how you do it. It doesn't matter if you're technical well, let's, or not. So let me, so in, in the nature of fighting fair here, qualify what you, qualify, what are the qualities by which right. they have it right? Because we may be agreeing with each other. Yeah, here. yeah right, right. So, and that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. And so what they have right here is how this handbook is set up and how it works. Specifically, Markdown documents version controlled. They don't mm -hmm. have to be marked down, but I, there is really no alternative. So it's sort of like a you know mm -hmm. a default without an alternative. But it's that it's that written document in a version controlled context because it ca that tool captures the flow of how this process gets done. 
I have this idea. Well, what's the first thing you do with an idea? You write it down. Okay. And now you want to get this idea uh, accepted and, and, and approved and, and pushed into the handbook. Well, how do you do that? It has to be reviewed by others. And so mm-hmm. here you have the change. You make the merge request. In your merge request is the meta conversation about should we or shouldn't we? What about this? What about that? Things we, you know, counter considerations, open floor for others to discuss. And then decision gets made. Somebody has to approve or deny. And then regardless of whether is it accepted or not, that conversation and that merge request lives in perpetuity as a, as a, um, it is ensconced in history as a thing that we talked about so that if this question or problem arises again, we can go, oh, we already talked about this, didn't we? Yeah, let's just go search the 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 change history. Oh, yeah, we did yeah. talk about this. Here's why we didn't do it. So to me, it, 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 it fits like this is a Venn diagram overlap. That's that's just one circle because this <laughs> is the tool. <laughs> This is That's the tool to a circle. It's called a circle. <laughs> this is the tool to solve this problem. It doesn't matter what your your posture, your nature, your industry vertical is, whether you're technical or non-technical. This is how you do it. I could realistically see a company launching a handbook SaaS platform that's basically takes what GitLab does and redoes this for everybody. And it really is just markdown documents with get under the hood because this is how you solve this problem. It's the same, you know, the way we ended up with tickets, you know, every, every ticket tracker is a variation of the same basic concept, you know, like that is the way that you do that thing. It just is. I see this as how you do this thing. And yeah, there's a learning curve to it. Just like there's a learning curve with yeah. damn near anything you do. I don't think it's insurmountable and I do think it's the right way to do the thing. So why well, in, wouldn't you in learn my to head. do it the right way? Yeah, and and in my head as you're explaining this, I'm I'm looking for what are the surface level versus substantive differences between, say, keeping it in in uh, a, a static site, a markdown static site, right? Mm-hmm. Versus say a confluence, confluence, or any of these other documentation systems. You're asking me, right. or you're so you still no? I'm I'm just I'm not I'm you're I'm just, just thinking. thinking through like okay. okay, you're saying this is the way you're specifically saying markdown, and you're specifically saying Git. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're saying version controlled. I beg your pardon, but you know, let's that's sure. Good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so version controlled and markdown specifically are your two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, so with respect to like tracking changes over time, who made what changes when a system like Confluence, and I'm picking on Confluence because we use it at work. It's a good example. A it's a good, yeah, um, a lot of people have experience with it. Gives you that. I can go look at every previous version of the document. I can have my own draft that I haven't actually you know, uh, published yet, all of that, you know, not all, right? There's some nuance there that you lose. But most of what I care about as just a contributor who sees that, hey, this says that Christmas is on a Thursday, but it's actually on a Tuesday this year. So I want to submit a change to, you know, all of that kind of handles that. Um, And as a user, I still get something that looks decent, whether it's rendered markdown or it's a rich text from from a from a confluence editor, like, so I'm, I'm struggling, like, and I'm, by the way, this is almost just for the sake of arguing because I kind of think like, yeah, just go do Markdown and Git, right? But but I'm wondering if you see yeah. like where you see the difference there, why that matters to me, a non-technical. I'm, I'm in finance. I'm in marketing. Right. 
because and like why would i use this system it sounds like the same thing but with more steps frank so like i'm open-minded to use a different system but like what problem is is confluence just seems easier to use right 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 and what i what what a Git specifically what the the Git version control based workflow with merge request what that captures that these other platforms don't is that um it it enables and empowers whatever level of approval and acceptance processes your stuff goes through. There's a moderation the, flow. The mo- yeah. moderation what it, how however simple or robust you need that to be. Or, or how variable, okay, this section over here, anybody, this is Wild West, anybody can do whatever the hell they want. And this section over here, the CEO page, like the CEO has to sign off on, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you can do all of that simple, complex, you know, and, and black and white and, and it, and it will all work in under the same hood. All the other tools Confluence included fall down on that process because can you what do you need to so what do you need to do that like just at complete tangent right okay. just to get technical uh, another, for a minute like drink. so if I want to yeah well we're starting early today oh, what can I say it's got to be eight a.m. somewhere it's uh, if I have <laughs> like I have a section of the cell like I have a CEO page I'm the CEO in this situation obviously um, obviously uh, your uh, janitorial services I, I, mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know the mail room. Uh, an intern. Intern. intern, yeah, mailroom intern, mailroom intern, <laughs> assistant to the mailroom intern, <laughs> assistant to the mailroom intern for the janitorial closet. Um, <laughs> so, like, I have a I have a subdirectory within my Git repo that I want specific rules around. Is like my mind. The only tool that I'm natively aware of for this is like uh, like a like a hook, like a Git hook that would look at the path and the account. Like, how would you actually, like in practice, if I want to say, yeah. hey, look, anybody can make changes to the the vacation calendar because you just put in there when you're taking off, but only Chris can modify the CEO page and only the board can change this funding page. Like, how would you implement that? There is, uh, oh God, it's been, a, it's been a hot minute since I've touched it, but you, you can configure um, in GitLab, uh, you configure this with the, um, uh, there's a config file. There's a dot config. Uh, I don't know if it's dot config or dot GitLab dot YAML or something. One of those kinds mm-hmm. of top level in the repository, high level okay. config files. You can define all of the rules for what merge requests look like. Oh, no way. And, and, uh, you know, who, who can approve them? And you know what? Hold on a second. I think I've got. I have an old project. TIL. Yeah. I have a. I have an old proof of concept. And is that a, Is that based off of core Git permission mechanics, or is that something specific to like GitLab pull requests? I think this is. Uh, this might be specific to GitLab, but let me see if I can find it. Ha! Here it is. Um, this was a. Uh, oh, maybe this was not, I maybe this might've been under GitHub, but I'm sure GitLab has something similar. Uh, I have a file in this proof of concept I built quite a few years ago. Uh, there's a file mm-hmm. called code owners, all caps. Okay. It's set, owners. It's sat at yeah. the root of the, it's at the root of the repository code owners. It, di- it defined who owned the various folders and directories. And so you could set it to a group of people. Like a group and then of it users? would read that and check it against when you and, did a pull request. Who has authority to? Okay, right. And then and that's a that's a GitHub thing. That's a Git, but I'm sure GitLab. So we're has we're trying to f- 
There's a yeah, there's a one to one parity with almost anything between GitHub and GitLab. Uh, yeah, that they're not going to let something. So go I mean, un, either they straight up accept the code owner's syntax, which is a really straightforward plain text file of uh, file. Um, uh, it's it's a it's a path matcher. So mm-hmm. um, so the top one. So you in, can like I could do a prefix with a glob and yeah exactly. Yep. So my my first line is asterisk me. So if there's nothing set for anything in the in 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 this handbook mm-hmm. it, it would require if there is no if there's no deeper rule more fine-grained rule deeper down i can you know it, the approval would go to me so everything and has I've, to get approval and yep, then and i've already seen uh i'm looking at docs for gitlab right now they have a code owner there there's a go. file yep and so it is code owners all all caps in the root mm-hmm. yeah and so then okay. you just define groups uh of users uh, now those yep. groups of users have to exist. And this is where the, it matches up with, you know, the, the right. GitLab. You have to keep that you list in sync with that. Your, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Right. So if I have a group of users, I have to, I have to manage that group yeah. of users, but still I can set the, the various permissions. And then this way, you know, the approval goes through this. And I know that inside the platforms themselves, GitHub and GitLab, they have deeper rules that you can do tying in with their, um, uh, with with not just the merge request functionality, but also the the pipelining, the DevOps, the so you can make sure the test pass and all so that. So you can yeah. you can check that yeah. kind of stuff, or you know you can have things automatically knocked off based on whatever whatever unique bespoke rules you you want to do. Um, yeah. So this is but to to answer your question, this is how you would set up. You know, finance people would own the finance yep. section, and HR people would own the HR section, and then yeah. the CEO could you know he sits above all of it, and he can. You know, he could put the veto to anything. He could approve anything, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that, because that process is so unique and bespoke, um, this is really the only tool that does it. And outside of the public-facing handbook, I mean, I don't know about you, but every handbook I've ever gotten has been out of date since well before it landed in my lap. Like keeping that thing up to date is just a tremendous pain in the butt, usually because it's a file or a handful of files that somebody in HR has to manage or take care of. Mm -hmm. And they only update it when it's absolutely necessary. And it's not, you know, the immediate availability for others to contribute and and keep it up to date just simply doesn't exist, which again is another reason why this tool is good. But going back to your question, why this over something like Confluence or any other online document portal? It's that acceptance and approval process and how that's going to vary with not just the content, but the nature of the, um, not just the content, but the company itself and being able to do a process that fits. None of those tools have this level of sophistication because they're not built to handle this problem. They're built to create a page, enter stuff on the page. And then I've got some history. I can see who did what, when on it, but and there's even I, I've seen in Confluence there is some rudimentary approval stuff too, but it's you know, it, well there it, is an approval workflow in Confluence, right? So is, I can yeah. identify like a, a an author or an approver group for a page, and then sub pages fall under that, and then any changes need to be there's a workflow that goes into that, and that, it does what it's not going to do. What I let me let me take that back. What I assume it doesn't do very gracefully is when two different people uh, both request to change at the same time. Does it is it able to handle that gracefully or not? I don't I just don't and know. also the and also the meta dialogue of should this thing be approved what is this uh, the what why and how um, there is a um, and there is there is that is uh, hey uh, 
you know, uh, NSA, there is value in the metadata. So one of the things I have fought, I have fought this war for years. If you're talking about an issue that's in the, like just, just as a tactical thing, right. Talking about a, a product development group. If you're talking about an issue, then don't use email. Do it in the issue thread. So that way, four years from now, when something breaks and I realize that this is relevant, I can not only see that, hey, this ticket was open and here's when it was closed and here's who worked on it, but I can also see the dialogue that shows me exactly how we arrived at the conclusion that led to the commits I see in the source repo. That's super valuable Mm -hmm. because Outlook is not a filing cabinet. It does not make a good system for organization. And so um, you, you need that that comment history what you're saying there is there's so much value in that just like there's so much value in a good commit message there's so much value in having your discussion in the issue thread rather than emails or anything else um and the same thing i would say with especially with a workbook because that is sort of core to how the organization works how it how it organizes itself how it functions and why Tremendous amount of value and understanding like this is how we arrived at the conclusion that, you know, right. whatever so, is in the book is in the book. Yeah. So you can actually with and, and by doing that in a handbook fashion with merge requests, you, you now have that whole decision making process. You can prove the negative. If a yeah. thing doesn't get accepted, I, I have this historical record of the thing not getting accepted and why. There was mm-hmm. a, uh, there's a document format that I, I got turned on to, uh, with a, with a consultant, with a company I, I consulted with a number of years ago called ADRs, which was an architectural decision record. And mm. the idea of this document was, okay, what's before, what's the, I probably talked to you about it. What's the situation? Like what's the context? And then what is our decision? And, and and why and what are the consequences? And so it doesn't matter positive or negative. You're presenting the situation and you're capturing, okay, here's the situation. Here's what we're doing and here's why and here's the yeah. outcomes. And if you use it as a living doc, you can also do status updates on, you know, where you're at at implementing the decision. That is a, that entire thing super duper handy for, I mean, really any, any uh, particularly technical teams, but really any, any team that's making a lot of decisions to do or not do things on a regular basis. And that entire flow, that entire concept of the ADR is baked right in. The merge request just does all of that for you. It's, it's, it's attached directly. How many, how many times have we talked about this? Like, like, uh, you know, somebody, uh, somebody new comes into a role, right? And the first thing this, and I, I'm sure you see this in other trades as well, but uh, we see this all the time. Somebody comes in new to a role. What do they immediately do? The knee-jerk reaction is to trash everything that was that came before, right? Oh, right. this guy was a dumbass, and yeah, he didn't he know what he was, had this no guy idea is, what he was doing. This is a mess. We need to nuke and pave us. This is garbage. It's going to mm-hmm. take me longer to fix this than it will to just rebuild it myself. And then, you know, <laughs> how? So, so first of all, you know, try not to hire people like that. Uh, just going to let mean, that one hang out there. I mean, yeah, Second of all, um, you know, if you see it, quash it because that's just. That's such a crummy attitude. I can't. It's and it is tempted. Like I'm not saying that I've never been tempted to do that because there are some things you walk into a situation like holy crap. But but whether you have good intentions, you're able to control your reaction and and not say those things out loud or or you know help yourself to stop thinking or if it if it comes out anyway, like how valuable would these ADRs be 
for archaeology. So go back and say, why would you possibly introduce right. this component to the environment? Well, check the idea. Oh, now That's I why. right. Yeah. So like the humbling effect it would have to understand the context of all of these decisions, because so much of what we do, you know, especially in a larger team, things are changing all the time. You've already forgotten what the team did yesterday, let alone the stuff that's been in production for five years that everybody's too afraid to touch. How valuable from an archaeological standpoint it would be to have this log of ADRs. I actually, I was close to doing something like this. Um, I was forming it more, uh, more of a, doing like an RFC style uh, for, for decisions like this, but I like this ADR. Um, I like this ADR approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I may, ADR I may, I may, I may dump the RFC thing in favor of this. Cause I think it, it speaks more to like what actually happened rather than what things we're, we think we might do and how that is probably going to change from what actually happens. Oh, ADRs are, yeah. ADRs yeah, are great. This is, this is a good system. ADRs are super handy. Uh, you got to write them. You got to be diligent about them. Oh yeah. And then you have to centralize like any documentation. It's actually got to get centralize the storage and it's got to be searchable. It should be a Git repo. And yeah, if I'm going to go through all that trouble, <laughs> well, shit. I, I mean, I'll ADRs just, are just another sub page in the handbook. I mean, just another sub just make the handbook like the, actually I would, I would yeah. separate those. Right. So I, I mean, would, I would depends. say like, here's the, here's the technical wiki that would be different from the hand handbook is like, it could it could be I I could I could certainly see like you know I mean I bet if we search this uh, I bet if we search the the GitLab handbook we probably find something like ADRs. Um, I'm trying their their new search right here. Uh, decision. I, I shut up there because I was wandering dangerously close to opening the like mono repo versus many small repos debate. Oh, I, don't oh, really, gosh, I don't really feel like going there right now. That's no, don't. I, I think we've only had two drinks so far. I'm not really, I'm not trying to get into that holy war. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I will look at the grand poobah here. It's, it's just one giant repo and. Well, it, and simplicity. And simplicity. <laughs> I, we actually, we had this debate uh, a month or two ago, right? It, about like Yagni with microservices, yeah. right? Just build the monolith and move build on. Build the monolith. And then Same. when you need to break it out, break it out. Exactly. And so do it that's exactly do how it. Yeah. do it. Do it when it makes do it when it makes sense. Yeah. And I seem to be having this conversation a lot with my, with my, uh, my current employer, like do what you need to do today and no more. Yes. There's a yeah. zillion things you could do in the future. You could do, you could do, but you've got to get, don't worry about step C, worry about steps A and B, then mm -hmm. worry about step C because step C might change significantly. You know, if I'm if I'm looking down the barrel at A and I'm thinking, oh, well, I could do this thing at C. Well, yeah, but by the time you get there, things could change radically. So you don't. I yeah. mean, that's just future code stuff. And before the before the hate mail starts, I hear the fingers on keys already. Before it starts, this is not. We're not talking about failing to analyze and architect and design your system before you start to build it here and just YOLO into file new and start writing crap down on your page. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about no. the business strategy stuff, the stuff that's how the team works, the stuff that isn't proven by the market yet like this is not yeah technical the, advice you know don't don't design your uh your multi-million dollar system before you start it that's not that's yeah not cool. it, well i mean if you want to be more specific about your call out and your exception there if you're doing greenfield development on a new idea and you know it's kind of a wide open field and you sort of want that to be a wide open field but as you're but as you're building like I mean, I, I'm going through I'm 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 going through a similar exercise right now with a with a side project, and you know uh, every 
every day that I do a little bit of work, I see a zillion directions that I could go off in eventually. But if I don't stay you focused could. on getting the first step done first, those other things will never come to fruition. So why I'm, I shouldn't, I can't worry about them because it actually impedes my ability to get done the important thing or the necessary first step. You got to lay that cornerstone. Don't worry about the rest of the building, lay the cornerstone and just focus on getting that one thing done. So this uh, Git, the GitLab handbook, it has 2000 as of, what's this, August, sorry, uh, July 1st, it has 2,743 pages. And then it actually has written beneath that. It has the methodology that you can do because the handbook is open source. You could download it, you can fork it, download it, and run a find command the same way that they did just to verify their results. See, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Like, yeah. it, I mean, it's, it's totally comprehensive and it's all just totally out in the open. Um, okay, so a couple other highlights. You mentioned the CEO page. Here, here's something that I think is really cool. So they had a section on the CEO page talking about it. It is all kinds of stuff about the CEO, but they had a section at the top, favorite restaurants. What's the CEO's favorite restaurants, right? And then underneath of that, Presumably, at some point, it was the favorite restaurants. Now it says, move to a Google Doc internal to GitLab team only. Please see in the Google Drive file name, CEO's favorite he restaurant. Was, he was tired of his nice places getting mobbed it by probably, well, I mean, They probably did have a, 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 an Somebody uncomfortable show up. Some rando yeah. showed up or something. Yeah, I could, I could absolutely see it in San Francisco. Some crazy. Um, but just that level of, of information that, that you write down. You're not going to get that if this is all locked up behind a single uh, individual. This whole thing is absolutely worth the read. Uh, you could sit here and just, and I have, I have just scrolled, you know, link navigated, bounced through all kinds. Yeah. I mean, the interlinking in this thing is crazy. Um, you can find all kinds of interesting things. I just wanted to break, you know, and this is, this is going to be my, I'm going to do this as the pick. So an open sourced version controlled handbook. I think every company can and should do this. Super augmented, silent, and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. Now to make this to tell me how you really feel. <laughs> so to bring this to bring this back a little more home to uh the 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 audience and the practicality of you know who our audience is. Technical in nature, running technical teams want to do a better job on the on the business side. There is one thing that they do that is written up in the handbook, of course, that I think is awesome. That I don't see a lot of other companies doing aside from the handbook itself. So GitLab has a program called the Single Engineer Groups. Have you heard of this? Have you mm -hmm. heard of this? The SEG is what they call it. So no, I will familiar. send you, I'm going to send you the link so you can follow along at home and we'll obviously put the link in the show notes. Um, the idea there's a whole, I mean, it's a huge write-up, but the idea is, Hey, we've got this idea. We're not sure if it's going to work yet, or even if we are sure that we want to do it, we're not sure what it's going to look like yet. And it's far faster and more efficient for us to take a single engineer and let them just dedicate themselves whole hog to running this idea to ground, at least, you know, to a certain break point to make a decision or to, you know, take it to the next step. And uh, 
that's exactly what this program does here. I mean, the summary line here, goal of single engineer groups is to initiate GitLab into a planned or minimal category within the GitLab project. The single engineer group is not to invest in an existing viable or complete category. So the idea is we're not sure what we need to do, uh, but we need, we need to explore it. And the best way to do that is to just throw an engineer, a single engineer at it. And they talk about a high rate of success by incubating ideas this way. Um, Here's some of the benefits that they list out. A lot of decisions to be made, which happen more effectively inside of a single brain. There's not enough code for multiple people to work on without running into merge conflicts. And then starting the work earlier, single person can start a lot faster than a whole team can, uh, allows for more time for other people to contribute. You know, we need to have a head start many years ahead of commercialization. I mean, this this to me is a... um, is sort of a reimagining of the of the notion that um, you know small teams theory. Um, you like to say that nine women can't make a baby in a month. Um, yeah. There is, I feel, and we may have talked about this early on at some point in the show history. Um, the, the the size, the effective maximal size of a dev team. Um, yeah, yeah, there's I mean, a limit. There's a hard limit. There's a, there's a hard limit. And I mean, you can, as you, well, break but, that's, th- but this is well, but this is well known, right? Because then once, once that idea gets proven, once we've got a viable prototype, we want to turn it into something we can bring to market. Then you put a team around it and why it's the old adage. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right. Right. I mean, I think that encapsulates it. And, and what you want to do here is you want to go fast. That's yeah. like, that is what you, explicitly they want to do is go fast. Go alone. I mean, I think this encapsulates that perfectly. Yeah. And there are guardrails and there are, there's approvals. There's all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. that once that, that, that they want to see happen. One of the things, uh, their requirements for this person who's going to do this are fairly owned. Like this is not anybody in the company that can jump in. The, this yeah, this the, is the, pretty the, strict requirements. The engine, you're talking about the engineer requirements, like who they are. Yeah. 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 It says they, they must be a senior engineer or above. Uh, there's six points, senior engineer or above. Uh, must be passionate. Okay. Uh, that's kind of a BS point, if you ask me. Uh, they must be excited about the ability to work independently or have prior success in a similar model. Uh, okay. Uh, but again, kind of mushy. Uh, being a prior company technical co-founder, being an early contributor to a successful open source project, working successfully on a prior single engineer group. So those so last three, the those last, last three are, are kind of one of these rather than all of them. Yes, but like I mean, those bars, like I mean, forget the first. That's what I'm saying. The, it's forget the first three. Those last three are legit. Like that is mm-hmm. that's a really tall order. And and I mean, it's it's true. The person needs to be able to self direct. And they need to operate without a net and they need to be able to operate without a lot of oversight or guidance Mm -hmm. and on a field that is by definition nebulous and undefined. That's a hard place for a lot of people to play. Now, you and I do it all the time. And so it's kind of second nature, but not, I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of the engineers on my team, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them do this. They would end up go running off into the, into the woods and I'd never see them again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, because this single like like authorization to go off and do one of these SEGs, like it is you're you're handing the person a foot gun. They they you have to know that they are be mm-hmm. able to responsibly wield that weapon. Really, I mean, because you just you're just going to have a bunch of people on crutches in no time. You know, like this this is really and it's a similar thing with remote, right? So I, I'm very passionate about remote work. Uh, I think for technology. I, 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 at best, a weak hybrid is about the most that makes sense, right? Um, but there are a couple of questions that I'm asking during interviews. 
But, and if you've never worked remote before, I've got some additional questions I'm asking during the interviews because it does take, it's, it's not exactly the same. It does take some additional something, some mojo, some, it's, it, it takes some additional discipline. It takes some additional energy. It takes, and I, I want to say additional, right? It takes a different kind of discipline and energy and motivation and, um, you know what I mean? To, to, to really do remote well and not just, uh, you know, not just play Factorio 12 hours a day. Like, of course I do, of course. um, you know, so it's, it's just, it's a different, uh, it, and I can see this being, being the same. Now they're already remote. So I think they've probably already selected for a group that is more likely to succeed with this. Um, because I think some of the same traits that you would look for being optimal for remote work are probably some of the same that you they're looking for here, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I, but but still, those I mean, those are big bullets. Uh, prior company technical co-founder, early contributor to a successful open source project, or or having done an SEG before. That's a that's a bar. Yeah, it is. Um, and honestly, now that I'm looking at it, the two and three: be passionate about the subject matter and be excited about the ability to work independently. I'm going to go back on what I said about those initially because that's that's basically what I wound up just saying. So yeah, I, I, I mean, take that back. They, they, they sound it sounds <clears throat> a little a little froofy the way that it's written there, but it, I mean yeah. it is true. I think a better way to write that second one would be, you know, some demonstrable knowledge of the space, prior knowledge of the space, um, a, you know, some some interest, some experience with it, some some exposure somewhere. I, I think would probably be. I would limit it. That. I would disagree with that. I would limit it to excitement because I think even if you don't, even if you don't already know a lot about the space, if you're excited about it, you've got that passion, you've got that drive, you've got the discipline. I w like, I wouldn't have a moment's hesitation saying, okay, go learn it, mm -hmm. go, yep. go do it and learn it. Make, I mean, be clear about what you're building so you don't spin your wheels. But mm -hmm. I, the other bullets kind of cover for those cases. I don't know. I don't know that I would require, but again, you, you're talking about like what, how many different, how many weird, uh, how many uh, strange, unknown, completely foreign, different domains could you possibly have right. adding a feature to GitLab? It's not yeah. like all of a sudden you need to be an expert in high finance or marine biology. Just, I, you're a developer. You're working on a development platform. There's nothing in there that's going to stretch you so much that you you would really say that, oh, I have no idea about that. You know I what I mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I I don't know the um, the 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 GitLab Wicked Tuna edition might be uh, might be pretty hard. You might want to <laughs> might be. I I hear good things coming. I hear good I things hear coming. Good things next, yeah. next season. Next season it's gonna be next awesome. season. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, so I wanted to call out the that because I think that's worth a read for. I mean. Yeah. As a concept, maybe maybe your company has need of that. Maybe they don't. But I think the point is. They believe in this in the model of the the small, nimble team so much that they actually will do major initiatives, commercialization initiatives. Start mm -hmm. with a single engineer just doing crap. I mean, that's if that doesn't put weight behind it, I don't know what will. So, yeah, I, I think that's good for anyone who's dealing with uh, an organization that has a little bit of uh, engineer bloat. You know, too many too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. That's a, I, I think that's worth looking at. Just you know, hey, how does this apply to you, or or you know, how might this apply to you? Um, the other thing that I want to call out, uh, actually on the same page, was the dual career path. Um, this seems to come up all the time with 
with technical companies. Um, and the first line in this paragraph says it all. Dual career path is a career path that allows upward mobility for team members without requiring that they be placed into a people manager position. Because, oh, dude, I, I, 100%. It, you have, I mean, how, how many people have fallen into this Peter Principle trap before where you're a great individual contributor, you might even be a good technical team lead, but now you're in a management, in a management seat and you, and you just suck. And you, that, because that's not your job, because it's not what you're good at. That's not what you're trained at. That's not what you're interested in. Uh, I, I am a, I'm a big believer in the, in the dual track as well with the understanding that there is only so far that you can go on as an individual contributor. You know, the CEO by definition is not an individual contributor that the, you know, the CEO role, for example, taking it to the extreme is a force multiplier role that impacts lots of people across the organization. And it has a, a management piece to it that you just simply cannot, like you, you, you can't extricate it. So there, there is a, there is an upward limit to that, but it's a lot higher than I think a lot of people realize. And so building a track where your individual contributors can continue to progress into really strong, high levels of influence without actually giving up that individual contributor capacity, without giving them people to manage is a good thing. Uh, we've, uh, we've talked about this before, right? You, you, you promote somebody, uh, you promote them again, you promote them again at some point. Okay, well, if you want more promotions, you got to go into management and then you do that. And then what you've just done, you've lost twice. Because right. they're probably a really strong contributor. They keep getting promoted and you want to keep promoting them. And so uh, you just took a strong contributor out of the team and you put somebody in the job whose qualifications may not line up with that job description, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's different skills. Not to say one person can't do both, but it's not necessarily the case that a good people manager uh, that that a, that a strong contributor has the skill set of a good people manager, um, and so we've made this explicit uh, in in well, one of my teams in specific. Um, we've got we've got the dual tracks kind of laid out there, um, mm -hmm. and they they differentiate in the explicit language. Like my, my explicit policy is uh, because we want to be able to give you growth, we want to be able to give you opportunity, we want to recognize you for your uh, for your hard work and for your contributions, and we don't feel like you should be hampered in your career progression and growth because you don't want to manage people. In fact, if you come and tell me, hey, yeah, I don't want to manage people. Thank you. That's very useful information. That's not a point against you. That's just now I know one more thing about you um, that can help me advance your career in a way that will actually work for both of us uh, instead of look good on paper and then blow up in my face a year later when we made the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's a, I thought that was a great call out. And then if you're thinking about hiring, like you're, you, to go along with that, the tracks and all that kind of stuff, hey, guess what? All that crap's in here too. So if you guys, if, if you're working for a company that, you know, you're not, you, you have a, a nebulous, un, poorly defined process and you're looking for a starting point, all that crap's in this handbook too. So, I mean, like there's, there's lots of, there's lots of good stuff here. Uh, both technical and uh, and non-technical. So I know I know I sort of sprung this one on you today, as is our style. But is there anything from from your previous um, uh, browsing of the of the of the handbook here that you uh, that you really like? Do you Just remember the, anything? The the the, the depth. Right. The, the breadth is is interesting. Again, I think uh, I have some reservations like practically getting 
the finance and accounting without that time. Again, if you're the CEO, you can make the decision. That's not an issue. It's not, it's not that those people can't learn the tools and use them. That is not my, my challenge at all. Mm-hmm. It is whether or not you have organizational support to do so. So if you're the CEO, that is you. If you're not, you're going to need somebody else's help in order to get this done. And you're going to need a lot of their help to get it done well if in an existing organization, right? Because that's hard to swim against the tide. Um, mm-hmm. But th- so the breadth aside, just the depth, right? The amount of detail that's in here, uh, the frequency of the updates, the, 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 uh, what's, what's surprising to me is just how much of the most important things that you'd be curious about. You actually want to, there's stuff in here that they're telling me about GitLab that I don't know about my company. Right. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I think about all the, I think about, uh, the people, I think about friends, family who work at jobs, and I guarantee you they would say this. This is not like, oh, you know, what they are being transparent and open and loudly open, not just, oh, yes, uh, it's, it's, uh, accessible by anyone on our VPN, right? This is on the public internet. Mm-hmm. They are being loud and proud about this, um, to a level of detail that rivals any handbook I've ever seen. Uh, I, that's just, just phenomenal. I don't know, but I don't like any specific things from, from looking through. I can't think of something in the moment. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, they have, uh, I, I was just looking for more ideas and I, and I started, Oh, they have their job listings. No, they have their whole job families. They have the roles for their, uh, their alliances, which I think are their alliance partners. They're listed on the same. Would you page, like to form right an next alliance. to the role? Right next to the roles for which I'm assuming he's like business partners and things like that. But then they've got roles for the, the stipulations for the expectations for a board member, <laughs> what they do. Then there's a you know, written description for the CEO, and then all the way on down to all the different to the different roles. I, I mean, like it doesn't matter what state your business is in. Chances are there's some meat here that you haven't considered for your company. If you're dealing with some kind of infrastructure policy process, whether it's technical or non-technical, you know, there's probably something here that you can, well, and you you look at, if you look at their, um, if you look at their, their org chart, um, they have the kind of the layers, uh, laid out there, uh, and they distinguish in the org chart. They distinguish. There's the here's what we call the level. Here are some examples. Here's the scope of the impact and expected behaviors. This is exactly what would I wish I'd seen this. It would have saved me an afternoon. But they've got it laid out like scope of impact. So for a, a way at the bottom there, I want to say the bottom make it sound bad, but at, at the you know the one end of the list, there's associate scope of impact, their own work, expected behaviors, learns and develops, and then there's intermediate. Right? right, and they work within a team, and then on and up and up and up, um, and it just lays it out. And then you can see associate, intermediate, senior. Okay, then manager slash staff, which is funny because those are actually the exact terms that that we use in our in our ladder. Um, and then senior manager to principal, and director to distinguished, and VP and fellow. Right, and they show this dual track, um, and the scope of the impact and the expected behaviors are consistent across, which is exactly the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Super. Super cool stuff. Uh, take if if you if you've never looked at it, definitely worth a definitely worth a look. Huh. I think I, I, I'm sitting here just like I'm not talking because I'm just sitting here scrolling and like oh oh I haven't looked at this section it's before. Good. Oh, this it's is good material. Neat. Yeah, it's good. It's good radio. Yeah. <laughs> I just noticed the learning and development section. 
Well, let's check this out yeah, and yeah. see what this is all about. We are not, by the way, we are not going to link all of the different parts of the GitLab handbook. We'll just put a link to the handbook and you can find your subpages and get lost. We, throw the, let's throw the single engineer group section in there just because we talked about that one specifically. I included a link to that one. In. Yeah, yeah. Just include that one. Every Everything else just, yeah, the, the one link is, is sufficient for sure. Um, although I should be, um, their, their URLs are updating, like I said before. So we should be careful about, well, and it has, link. and it's searchable. So yeah, know. true. All right. Well, what do y'all think? Spend some time with the, uh, GitLab handbook you've, uh, or I mean, maybe you've built your own or maybe your company's doing something really cool. We'd love to hear about it. Send us your, uh, feedback, feedback at refactor.work is where we would uh, love to hear from you. Uh, if you go to our website, refactor.work, you'll find show notes, you'll find the links and all of that good stuff. Uh, you can check out our back catalog. Every time we talk about something, hey, did we talk about that? Yeah, we probably did. Quick search, you'll find it and you can check that out. If you want to check out my writing, you can find that at hotcoles, K-O-E-H-L-S.com. And if you want to check out Chris's writings, you can check him out at chris.tunkinson.com. And this has been episode 111 of the Refactor Podcast recorded on August 11th, 2023. Always a pleasure, Chris. Thanks, Frank.